Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Uh, my name is Brian Lee Pastor here. So glad you're with us. We're in part two of a series called um, Awakenings, and so I'll just dive right in. Um, one of the things that's really interesting about Jesus as we're talking about this series is you follow him all throughout the Gospels, which is like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You look at his life. He was constantly putting his initial followers or disciples in impossible situations that they would fail at over and over and over again. Like one of the things you'll notice is, and you can look at it for yourself, he constantly over-assumed their capabilities. And so they should have known this right from the start because Jesus one day when he's starting his earthly ministries after about 30 years of obscurity, says to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, hey, I want you guys to follow me. And immediately on that first invitation, like they should have known that there's something different about this guy and he's constantly putting us under this tension that we have no way of kind of meeting and no way of, of living up to the expectations. In fact, Jesus' initial invitation was, hey, I want you to follow me and then I'm gonna send you out to fish for people. Which number one, that was as weird to them as it is for you. And if you didn't grow up in the church, you're like, what are you talking about? They're like, okay, that's an odd request and an odd invitation. And here was the context. It came after an entire day where they weren't even any good at fishing for fish. And Jesus said, like, I want you to fish for people. What are you talking about? And then later on, Jesus would set up these other scenarios. One is where he pushed them out on the Sea of Galilee and basically gave them this um, you know, directive to row across. And these guys did this for a living and yet they were in way over their head and they couldn't get the boat across the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus shows up and says the most absurd thing at the end of it. And he says to them, very truly I tell you, you will do works, the works that I've been doing and eventually you will do even greater things than these. And they're, they're basically like, Jesus, are you paying attention we haven't even done like the baseline 101 works at this point. Like we're not even good at what we're supposed to be good at. We can't even get the boat across the Sea of Galilee. Maybe you should reassess what you're asking us to do. And over and over again, there was just this tension that Jesus created where these guys were unqualified, inadequate, in over their head, and Jesus is constantly ramping up a standard that they have no ability to be able to meet. And then the most, uh, probably the best example and the one that you're most familiar with that it's so easy to kind of glaze over and whatever, and I've heard this, but just go with me for a second. But one day, Jesus is teaching to thousands of people. This is the height of Jesus, TMZ fame. Everybody's coming to hear him. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. He's incredibly popular. And there's thousands of people that are listening to him teach, and he teaches an entire day. And at the end of the day, his disciples come to him, and they're basically like, we're starving, man. And so is everybody else's here. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, this is the middle of the desert. It's really hot. And so can you like send everybody away and get, let, allow us to take a break and get some dinner or something? And then we'll come back and probably be a lot more attentive. And Jesus turns to them. And I think like with the half smile, 
says to them, in, or actually here's what they say first, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages, buy themselves some food. And so Jesus turns to them and says, they don't need to go anywhere. You guys, give them something to eat. And again, you know the story, so you're like, whatever, we know how this ends. But at this point, they're like, okay, here he goes again. What, like the, I don't know if you're noticing, Jesus, there's thousands of people here. And if we, if we bring out any food that is not enough for everybody, there will be a riot, okay? These people will take us out. And so, no, 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 you need to come up and devise a plan or you need to send everybody home, but this is just not gonna work. So we're in this series, um, Awakenings Part Two, and here's the whole idea around this series. It's this, is that God's chief desire for you, if you're investigating, thinking about Jesus, you're already a follower of Jesus, is that you would eventually mature and grow to the place where you would have what I would call living, active, in spite of, no matter what's hitting the fan, bold, I'm gonna trust God and be confident in God anyway kind of faith. In fact, it's why Jesus' invitation makes so much sense. I want you to follow me, meaning I want you to literally live and direct your life in a different direction as you look at me, as you follow me, as you watch what I modeled and taught. I want your life to move in the direction that I'm moving. Now, here's the thing. That was Jesus' invitation from the very beginning. Like, I want you to follow me. The only place where it began to move off the rails was not because Jesus amended his invitation, but because the church did. And over time, Jesus' very clear invitation to follow him became simply an invitation to believe in him. But believe in him was never Jesus' sole invitation. Like Jesus wants people to believe in him, but believe in him is just the starting point. Like the baseline, the epicenter of where God wants to bring everybody is, I don't want you to just believe in. I want you to follow me. I want you to move in a different direction with me. Now, here's something really interesting that we misinterpret all the time. Some of you won't believe me. You can go back and read it for yourself because it'll just seem really different than what you were taught. Jesus actually invited people to follow him before he invited them to believe in him. Because here's the reality. We talked about this last week. If you ever are serious about Jesus, and I understand some of you aren't, and some of you online or unfiltered radio or podcasting, wherever you're at, there's been so much done in the name of Jesus, which is what has caused you to walk away. And it's why part of this series is if you feel like you're losing faith, you've lost faith, you wanna reclaim faith, rediscover faith, strengthen faith, this series is for you because I understand we're not all in the same place. And for some of you, you've walked away because of what somebody else has signed to the name of Jesus. But I just wanna tell you, Jesus, as he's presented in the gospels, is the object of our faith. And so over and over again, Jesus would actually invite people, hey, I want you to follow me before you believe in me. Because I don't want just intellectual assent or belief. I want you to hang out with me. I want you to get to know me. I want you to listen to me. I want you to watch how I work. And if you get enough of Jesus, you may end up believing in Jesus. See, here's the thing. Belief in, that's a low standard, man. Because belief in anything or anyone, that's easy. That's safe. That doesn't demand a lot. In fact, you don't have to change anything. And so it's why Jesus says, I want you, I want you to not believe true things about me. I want you to move to a place where you have confidence in me. You have trust in me. You have faith in me. You guys know this. The currency of any relationship is trust. We said this last week. Your marriage is only as good as it's trust. Your relationship with your kids is only as good as, as the trust. As I told you this last week, my main goal is not obedience with my kids, it's trust. My kids can grow up, end up knowing a lot about me, obeying me, and still hating me. 
I want a relationship that is built on trust. And so Jesus says, that's what I want ultimately you to follow me into because God is most honored, just like you are most honored by trust, by living active in spite of I'm going to trust God anyway kind of faith. And here's what I'll promise you and here's where I'm going in the series. If you ever get to that place where you have just enough faith, not that all of your obedience is in line, not that you know all of the intellectual theology 101, you can explain dispensationalism. I'm talking about when you just have enough faith that I'm gonna step out and believe God anyway. When you have that faith, it will intersect with God's faithfulness and your life will never be the same. That is the only thing that's gonna get you where you wanna go in terms of your faith journey. But if you just believe things without doing things, ultimately it will result in a generation of followers of Jesus with really fragile faith. And all of a sudden things like politics and pandemics take the feet right out from under their faith because it was never rooted in a trust in relationship with Jesus, and come on, here's the other thing, just the cynical side of me. You just believe a lot of things about God without having confidence and trust in, eventually you become extraordinarily judgmental. You get a lot of stuff without doing anything with it. You are everything that people are disrupted by in regards to the church. And so Jesus says, I want you, I want you to follow me. And really it comes down to this question that you would get to the place in your life in any circumstance, marriage is hanging on by a thread, marriage is already over, you've got a mistake that you're trying to unwind from, you're trying to figure out how to parent that 15 year old right now, you just had a business that failed, you don't know where you're gonna go next with this relationship, they've hurt you in a deep way and you don't really think you have it in you to forgive, that in all of those circumstances, you would be able to arrive at the place not with perfection, not with 100% obedience, but with just enough faith to ask the question, what would anybody do in this circumstance who is absolutely confident that God is with them? What would anybody do whose marriage is failing, but they're absolutely confident that God is with them? What would anybody do with a 15-year-old who is off the rails, who you wanna kill and go Old Testament on if they were absolutely confident that God was with them? Like, what would you do when you have been hurt so deeply and they do not deserve any of your forgiveness or any of your grace and mercy, but you are absolutely confident that God is with you anyway? How do you respond when God's been silent for a decade, but you're absolutely confident that he's with you anyway? Jesus is like, that's the kind of faith I want to move you toward. And so in this series, what we're doing is looking at what I believe are five, what you could call faith catalysts that I'm gonna start looking at today. And these are the things that I think as you look at what Jesus taught and what Jesus modeled, these are the things that come to the surface. This is not a checklist. This is not, hey, do these five things in order. None of that works. Life does not work that way. It's why I, I refuse to call anything Discipleship 101 because you can't go to a class and then walk away and be a disciple. This is in each season of your life, God's gonna use these different things to interact with your life in different ways in order to grow and blow up your faith. So today, the first thing, and I don't know if like you're just leaning in and you're intrigued and you're listening to me or you are unbelievably like just quiet and checked out. And you're like, when is this guy gonna be over? So can you guys give me some love to let me know you're with me? I'm just wondering, okay, all right. So the first thing I wanna talk about today is the whole idea of what you could call personal ministry. Like this is one of the things that God is gonna to use to expand, to blow up, to stretch your faith. And here's what, this is just personal experience. If you sit down with anybody that, and even, even if you don't have faith in Jesus, you probably encountered people where you look at their faith and you admire it even if you don't believe it. 
But if you sit down with anybody who has that kind of faith of, man, some things have just gone off the rails. I've walked through some really difficult stuff and sometimes you wonder if they're paying attention, but they're not naive. They just have confidence in God anyway. You look at their life and one of the themes that you will find is there was a point along the way where they stepped out of their comfort zone and into somebody else's story, whether it was a neighbor, whether it was a middle school or high school group and they felt way in over their head, whether it was with a nonprofit, whether it was serving somewhere. And at some point they stepped into somebody else's story when it was inconvenient, when they had to sacrifice, when they felt inadequate and God used that to blow up their faith. Now, I don't have time for this, but it's just a quick theological thing that a lot of times we miss. Jesus ultimately did not come to comfort. Now just hang on, Jesus is gracious and merciful and he's with you and he loves you no matter what. But this whole deep theological thing, the Holy Spirit came as a comforter. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God inside of you. Jesus came as a disruptor, meaning there are some things that he will disrupt as you follow him. And so sometimes our sole goal is to move toward comfort and anything that moves against that comfort, we think somehow God's not in it when the reality is it might be the epicenter of where God is. Jesus did not come to make you comfortable. Jesus came to conform you into his image and move you to follow him. And that does not happen in your comfort zone. Comfort zones are nice, they're not healthy. And so Jesus says, at some point along the way, you're gonna have to step out. And when you push through your inadequacy to say yes to God for the benefit of other people, your faith ultimately begins to grow. Like there's always gonna be that that moment where you're like, I'm nervous, I can't do it, I'm not smart enough, they're better if they knew my past, there's no way, why'd I sign up for this? And then at some point there's just this story of, and I just did it anyway. I just decided to say yes anyway. I just decided I was gonna step out with God anyway. And I'm just saying, some of you feel that tension right now where you know God's prompting you to do something. You know God's cause, calling you to act. You know God wants you to move and it is scary. You are inadequate. It's gonna require sacrifice. And I'm telling you, that tension is not gonna cease and desist. God is inviting you into something. And I just wanna tell you this, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of that decision. You have no idea what God wants to do on the other side of it. But here's what you do know is at stake, is the strength and the endurance of the faith that many of you want. And in some cases, what's at stake is the maturity of somebody else's faith around you. So back to our story. Jesus is with his guys and everybody's hungry. And so he says, send the crowds away so we can go to the villages, buy some of the food. And Jesus is like, we don't need to go away. You guys just give them something to eat. Now, real quick context. Here's what this is on the heels of, and this is gonna help you. Um, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin and best friend had just been killed, just been beheaded. Um, Herod had made a promise. This is where it gets so weird. Herod had made a promise. It's very Jerry Springer-esque or like whatever, but made a promise to his stepdaughter who danced with him. Um, very disturbing. And at the end of that dance, he's like, you can have anything that you want, thinking she's gonna want a cash or an iPhone or a car. And so she turns to Herod and, she, and with the prompting of her mom, she's like, actually what I would love since you asked um, would be John the Baptist's head on a meat platter like any 16-year-old would want. And so Herod is locked in where he's got to give this to her. And so he beheads John the Baptist. You should read the Bible. And they stick his head on a meat platter. They bring it in. There's this whole ceremony. And so Jesus, really best friend, cousin, 
Jesus says about him one time, he's the greatest man born of women, which that puts you up there. And so he's dead. Jesus, as you can imagine, because he's fully God, fully man, is distraught, he's devastated. Now here's the other thing we don't look at a lot. His disciples are confused because they've watched Jesus turn water into wine and they've watched Jesus heal complete strangers. And now they've watched Jesus allow his cousin and best friend to die the most excruciating death imaginable and he does nothing. Just real quick side note. This is incredibly encouraging to me because I'll tell you why. Let me finish my statement, okay? Not that John the Baptist got beheaded, all right? <laughs> what is encouraging to me, if you'd allow me to finish my sentence, is, my thought, <laughs> is, you made me lose my train of thought, but here's what I was gonna say. This is good. This is good. Stop it is that there are moments where God's response does not make any sense. I'd go so far as to say, God's lack of response makes no, no sense. And what is really encouraging and comforting to me that you didn't let me get to is that many times Jesus' lack of response was really, really confusing. Jesus was silent. Jesus was inactive. Jesus seemed to be just completely detached. And yet what you will find because we have the perspective of the gospels is to know that Jesus was working, Jesus was moving, Jesus cared, Jesus was involved the entire time. And so there they are and they're wondering what's going on. And with that context, Jesus, verse 13, heard what had happened, withdrew to a boat privately to a solitary place because he needed to reflect, he needed to chill. A boat was the only way to do that. And so hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot to the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, like these people would not leave him alone. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. But he didn't heal John the Baptist. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. And this is where we started with, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And so the disciples have a plan and they request something from Jesus and then immediately Jesus turns around to them and requests something from them. And he says, verse 16, you guys, you in front of me, you guys give them something to eat. Now here's the thing, this is what Jesus did over and over again. And don't, don't miss this because you're so familiar with this. Jesus invites them to be a part of the solution. But what he asked them to do is impossible. In fact, John, in his perspective with his gospel later on, because he was there, says that Jesus actually was doing this to test them because Jesus understood and knew what he was gonna do the entire time. Jesus isn't trying to come up with a plan at this moment. And so Andrew turns to him with something probably similar to Ryder's lunchbox. And probably sarcastically grabs this kid's lunch. And again, you know the story. I'm not gonna patronize you, but he grabs this kid's lunch and he's like, Dude, the only thing we have is a kid's lunch. The only thing we have to work with, again, sarcastically, is a few fish and some loaves of bread. And I don't know if you're looking around, there's like 5,000 plus people here. We have only five loaves of bread, two fish. And they answered, basically, we are not prepared. We are not ready for this. All due respect, Jesus, hopefully Messiah. I'm not sure you're paying attention because you will incite a riot if you have any wild ideas in your mind. 
We cannot do anything about this. And then I would imagine that Jesus rolls his eyes because that's how I want to imagine Jesus. And this is the moment, this is so important. Please don't miss this because we've flannel graphed this story to death. Some of you have no idea what that means, but we're, we just, we're inoculated to its reality. But in this moment, this is how things change. Jesus was setting something up, not for this to be a, a children's storybook lesson, but for you to have this, this way of knowing that this is how God's, God works. This is how things change. This is how God moves. This is how God begins movements. So he says to them, bring them here to me. Like Andrew, I know you're being sarcastic. Bring it here anyway. Go get the lunchbox and bring it to me because here's what I want you guys to never forget. I want you in any situation, in any circumstance, at any crossroads, all I'm asking you to do is bring me what you have. So many of us spend the majority of our life focusing on all the things that we don't have all the ways that you are inadequate, all the ways that you have failed, all the ways that your IQ does not meet up, all the ways that you think that they are more talented, that they're better, they must be more spiritual. I think one of the driving forces of my life in the position that I've been given is just to communicate to people everywhere that if you are in a place where you've got failure, you've got dysfunction, you've fallen, you don't feel enough, you are unqualified, this is the message of the gospel. You are in a prime position for God to use you in a significant way. And so it's Jesus' point in this moment is you're so focused on what you don't have and you are standing next to me, Jesus, and I'm inviting you into something and I'm, I'm inviting all of you, meaning all of the uneducated, all of the unqualified, all of the you have a past. I know that some of you are gonna doubt me in epic ways, Jesus would say, in just a few months. I'm still inviting you because I know you. I know where you're coming from. I know what you struggle with. I know the shame in your background. This is all I got to work with. I use inadequate, weak people to show off my strength and my power. And so I know you didn't finish school. I know you haven't done enough. I know you haven't even been that good at catching fish and I'm asking you to catch people, but I'm just telling you, I'm going to do something through you if you would simply bring me what you have and do what you know. That's all I need from you. See, it's why one of the most powerful questions that we could ask that you could ask is this, what breaks your heart? Because around the question of what breaks your heart is where God wants to work. Some of you, what breaks your heart is your past and you've been running from your past and your past is the very thing that God wants to leverage to free other people for their future. Some of you, like you're in a place where it's all about, again, what you don't have or maybe it's an addiction you walk through or for others, it's just what breaks your heart is the faith of the next generation. It's people seeing Jesus as Jesus actually is. It's, it's seeing kids find a home, but something moves you, something breaks your heart. And I can almost promise you around that breaking of your heart is where God wants to birth vision and where God wants to do something for your future. And you are unqualified and unsuited to do it. And you are perfectly positioned. And Jesus says, this is what I want to characterize followers of Jesus. And so Andrew, who I think is still not buying it, he's like, well, this should be interesting. <laughs> See what you do. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven. 
And I love that Jesus makes it dramatic too. Not only am I gonna like low key try to do this, I'm gonna draw attention to it. We're gonna pray over the bread. And everybody's gonna know. And he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then he gave them to his disciples. Just, just one more thing, because you gotta be in the moment of this. He hasn't multiplied anything. He just opens up the lunch. He breaks up the bread and the fish, hands it to his guys, and they're like, um, thanks. <laughs> all the while, they got like thousands of people behind them that are all hungry. And nothing worth, worse than a hungry crowd. And so he puts it in their hands. And, and again, I know you know this, but I just want you to enter in for a second. Do you know what they did? They did exactly what they knew to do. The only thing that they were capable of in the moment. Now, here, here's just a side note. God will take you beyond your capacity. He'll never take you beyond your competency. I'm so tired of Christians starting coffee shops with no business experience. Like God's not calling you to that, all right? I don't know why I have so much angst toward that that just came out out of nowhere. I didn't even have that example in my notes, but it's there. Like God, it's gonna be within your competency, but God will take you beyond your capacity. Meaning within your competency, God will blow things up and do miracles that are beyond what you could have ever imagined, but it's gonna be within your competency. And so what he knew these guys could do was not feed 5,000 people. What they could do is take what they were given and turn around and feed the person that was right in front of them. That's the only thing they had the capability and the competency to do in that moment. And they trusted Jesus to do what Jesus couldn't do. I'll just be honest. I don't know if my faith is at that place. I think they would have hit it in my hand and I just would have ran as fast as I could out of there because what's gonna happen when we turn around and we don't have enough for everybody, but they stepped into this crowd with all they had doing all they knew to do, trusting that once they stepped into the crowd that God was gonna do something that they couldn't do. And here we are 2,000 years later and we're talking about them. Yeah. And we're talking about that moment. Listen, what looks like an obstacle to you may be a doorway to a miracle that God wants to do through your life. Yeah. And I cannot say that enough. And so there they are and they turn around to do exactly what they knew to do and the disciples gave them to the pe people. And this is a moment you can't overstate where their little bit of faith intersected with God's faithfulness and they would begin to change. Don't spend your life running from the very thing that God wants to use profoundly in your life and the lives of other people around you. And so they ate and they were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate were 5,000 men besides women, besides children. This is a huge, huge crowd. And at the end of it, the, the disciples didn't think that, that was an incredible miracle. In fact, the disciples were not even enamored by the miracle, which is really crazy if you read the whole context of this. Like again, to make light, but I, I think some of us, type A, entrepreneurial, they would have got done with that and be like, this is amazing. Like we, if we could get Jesus on board, we could start a business, we could cater. The profit margins are incredibly low. Like this is going to be huge. They didn't do any of that. And see, this is really important. It's not about the miracle. It's not about what God does. 
When God shows off and when God does something that is beyond your capacity, what you are left with on the other side is not this expression of, can you believe God did this? Your expression will be, can you believe who God is? It becomes personal. It becomes real. Your faith, your trust, your confidence begins to grow so that in seasons where God isn't doing anything, where God isn't answering any of your prayers, where God hasn't seemed to do anything on your behalf in a while and everything is flying out of control. It's in those moments that you have built up the confidence to go, I'm going to trust him anyway because I know the object of my faith and it is not about the outcome, it's about the person. And I've already taken enough steps of faith to get to know who Jesus is. So even if I'm walking through a season where I can't see him and I can't hear him, it does nothing to the reality that he is for me, that he is with me, that he is working and I'm gonna trust him anyway. And this is so personal to me because there's been several of these moments in my life. And one, there's a group of people we're doing a thing with tonight that I'm, I'm gonna talk about this story, but when we stepped out to start Centerpoint Church, it was, it was a massive step. I, some of you have told the story, but I was in a really, really good job. I'd gotten six promotions in a year is where I should have stayed. It was really good, and I got to the end of that year, and I knew that God was calling me to something else, and I sat down with my boss, and it's a true story, and I was like, here's what I think I need to do. I, I gotta quit this job. God's calling me to start a church. Here's all the reasons, and he legit turned to me and said, I don't think you're gonna be very good at that. Well, shut up, I'm, I'm quitting. So um, that's not what I said, but I was like, okay, you know, you, you are probably right, but I just know that God's asking me to do this. And my wife and I got married shortly after, gave all my savings away at the time because we had no startup. And, and it was just this confidence I can't really explain. I call it in retrospect, sanctified naivety because there was just thought God's gonna come through. And I can't explain it because I've never done anything this stupid in my life, but I, I just knew that God was calling me to act. And I'm just telling you, on the other side of that, my faith has never been the same. It was a middle school group that I got thrown into where when I had just started college, I was barely older than these people. I'm like, well, you should lead this basically middle school small group. And I'm like, that's a terrible idea because it required teaching. I had no idea how to teach. And I just, I knew the sense in me, I just need to do it anyway, way outside of my comfort zone. Don't think I'm gonna be very good at it. I'm introverted by nature. I got into this class, I was terrible. And over time, over several months, God began to work and I realized out of that little middle school group that, that was way outside of what I was comfortable with, God began to birth the vision for the rest of my life and I realized that there's something here and I never would have discovered it if I wouldn't have been willing to step out. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about and the declaration that Jesus is inviting us into is I want you to do what you can and then I want you to trust God to do what you can't do. That's all I need from you. And when you are willing to do that, that's the thing that awakens your faith. Now, here's the thing. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but right after this, because Jesus is kind of in this journey of these are not random events. I'm trying to build and grow these people's faith. So right after, and usually we don't connect these events, right after this whole thing, he sends his disciples on a boat, again, pushes them out, like, I'll see you guys, pushes them out into a raging storm. And you guys know the story halfway through um, Jesus just shows up on the water. Now, if you're skeptical of the Jesus thing, just ignore this part and don't miss everything else I said. I get it, Jesus walked on water, it's weird. We'll come back to that in another series. Jesus is walking on the water. And again, do you guys know the story? Peter basically looks at Jesus and says like, I, okay, I know I can't do that. But he starts to connect the dots of, I can do anything that God asks me to if I'm willing to just do what I know to do. And Jesus invites him out of the boat. 
And Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on water. And then Peter gets an unbelievably bad rap in this moment because everybody knows the story where he starts to sink because he gets his eyes on what he couldn't do and he gets his eyes off of Jesus. But here's the thing I just wanna draw your attention to because at the end of this, Jesus basically says to Peter, Peter, you are so close, man. I'm going somewhere with your faith. You're gonna have some more epic failures up ahead, but I'm telling you, I'm doing something in you and you are so close. But here's the thing I wanna bring to your attention. There were 10 other guys sitting in the boat. Peter's the only one that got out and Peter's the only one that everybody throws shade on him. The other 10 guys are sitting safely in the boat, not a part of the story, but it's Peter that says, hey God, invite me out because I can do whatever you invite me to do. And if you ask me to do it, I can do it, which is really important for us. What if you just ask the question, hey God, invite me. Invite me to do something beyond me. Invite me to do something big. Invite me to do something that's gonna stretch my faith, my confidence, and my trust in you because I wanna live differently and I wanna live following you and I'm not gonna settle for just believe in any longer. And then right after this, Right after this event, Jesus goes to the next one and they're on a hillside and he's with his 12 guys plus a bunch and it's dusty and it's dirty and it's 110 degrees and they have no political influence. They have no money. They have no standing. They have no education and Jesus stands on that hillside and he says to them, I want you guys, you guys that I've been with for several years, I know you, I know all the ways that you failed. It's, it's been embarrassing at times, but I'm with you. I want you guys to go and make disciples of all of the nations. And immediately you're like, are you kidding me again? Jesus, that is, we see where you're going. We, this is exactly what you've done before. You're gonna throw something out there that's in over our heads where we can't do it. We're unqualified. We are inadequate. There is no way we can accomplish it on our own. And I think what you're getting at is you, you want us to do what we know to do and to bring what we have and you'll do what we could never do. And 2,000 years later, here we are. Not because they were incredible. We romanticize them, we make them as heroes. They were ordinary individuals who failed over and over and over and over again. They brought what they had, they did what they knew, and when their little bit of faith intersected with God's faithfulness, their faith awakened, and it's no overstatement, it changed the world. So, as we get ready to conclude, here's what I promise you. There's gonna come a moment, and for some of you, the moment is right now. The moment is what you've been resisting for about three months. There's gonna come a moment where God says, I want you to lead. I want you to serve. I want you to start it. I want you to sign up. I want you to give the money. I want you to come alongside of them. I want you to mentor. I want you to step into their messiness. There will come a moment. And for some of you, the moment is so real that it's pinning to your, you to your seat in this moment. But there will become a moment where God says, I'm inviting you out. And in that moment, as small as it may seem, I can tell you by experience, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision. You have no idea what God's gonna do through you. You have no idea how God is gonna disrupt the people around you in the best possible way. You have no idea the impact or influence it may have on this next generation of your kids. You have no idea what God wants to do, but here's what you do know he wants to do. Here's what you do know hangs in the balance. Your confidence, your trust, 
you're in spite of death defying, even when everything doesn't make sense, I'm gonna trust God anyway, faith. And so Jesus says to you, stop just believing in me, follow me. If you want legitimate faith, follow me. And listen, if you settle for believe it, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna be with you. If you place your faith and trust in me, believing that I died on the cross for your sin, I rose again. One day you're gonna enter into the presence of heaven and you're gonna be my son and my daughter, but I don't want you to waste this life. And come on, it's scary, but here's what I promise you. If there's no area of your life right now where you feel uncomfortable, there's no area of your life where God is working significantly. And I wish I could change it but he does not work significantly inside of comfort zones. So where do you need to step? Where do you need to move? And the thing that I would encourage you on in terms of what we're talking about today is personal ministry. There's somewhere you need to step in. So many of you who volunteered at our partner organizations in the city, it's not just about volunteering. Your faith intersected with God's faithfulness and it began to change your life, not other people's life. When you step in to a middle school or high school group, one of the most powerful ways is within the church context on mission around Jesus to go, I'm gonna serve. And it's not about parking cars. It's not about babysitting kids. It's not about just greeting guests. It's not about knobs and switches in a control room. It's about when I engage on a team with other people who are moving toward Jesus, who all have faith and I've got to stretch and I've got to sacrifice and I've got to do some things that I'm not used to. And I got to talk to some people I don't want to talk to. I'm telling you over over time, God will begin to direct you and God will begin to grow your faith. But you need to step up and you need to step in. For some of you already know, there's a nonprofit, there's a neighbor down the street, there's an addiction recovery. I love that we just started a bunch of new groups because it came out of people who said, this is what breaks my heart. We need to start Celebrate Recovery. This is what breaks my heart. We need to start a group for hope for hurting parents. This is what breaks my heart. And so I'm not waiting for you to do it. God's called me to do it. And I may feel inadequate or unqualified, but that's the way that God works. So personal ministry positions you to experience God's power in your weakness. And personal ministry positions you to experience God's faithfulness in response to your acts of faith. And if you want the kind of faith that Jesus wants to lead you toward, this is it. So say yes when you don't feel ready because you will never feel ready. One of the things we've done at the very beginning of our church, and it is messy and it would be easier to do it another way. I constantly put people in positions and so do our teams and staff who are unready for that position because it is the way that God grows and amplifies our faith. And say yes before you know how it's gonna work out because guess what? You never know fully how it's gonna work out. It is the uncomfortable journey of walking by faith. God, God clarifies in the midst of faith. God clarifies in the midst of obedience. He never clarifies beforehand. So if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know if you can cut it and somebody's smarter and surely somebody is better and you don't know if you can make it, if anybody will listen to you, you have trouble taking yourself seriously. You remember everything you've done for your past, but you feel like God is prompting you. And I'm telling you, you are ready. And God is positioning you to be used by him. And come on, you know this, you have been impacted significantly by people who said yes, and they changed the world or they changed your world. And all of the people that maybe some of you grew up with and couldn't stand in the church because they, they said yes to believe in. 
but they never moved. They never did anything. They never moved by faith. They never acted. And today we don't even know their names. So somewhere around you, somewhere in your sphere of influence, maybe it's in your own home, there's a life, there's a child, there's a marriage, there's a future, and they're waiting on you to say yes to what God is prompting you to do. And all you have to do, and I'm gonna end with this, is bring what you have and do what you know. What is it? Bring what you have, do what you know. What is it? Bring what you have. I know this is a thing that's off limits. You didn't think God could use that. Bring what you have, do what you know. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to say yes. Do you guys stand with me? And I wanna encourage you as we continue on this journey, next week is a great time to invite somebody because there are people around you who are losing faith, have lost faith, wanna reclaim, rediscover faith. And this might be the catalyst for that rediscovery. And it may be the catalyst for God using you in stepping into their story to change it in a dramatic way to get to know who Jesus is. Do not miss next week. Do not miss the opportunity to invite. And would you guys pray with me wherever you are online? Thank you so much for being with us. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in this moment. We thank you for what you're doing through this series. And God, I pray that you would use this more than just another check off a box or to obtain some knowledge or put some notes in a journal and go our way and do nothing. God, I pray that you would prompt something beyond that. And I'll just speak for me as a church person, growing up in this thing my whole life. It is so easy to hear stuff and do nothing with it. And I'm just tired of that kind of faith. I'm tired of just believing in. And so in this moment, God, I I want to grow up confident, trust in you that is only spurred on by by complete surrender and a complete willingness to go, Jesus, yes, to whatever you're asking me to do, yes. And so I pray that you would do that in the lives of the the hundreds of people here today, the thousands of people online and via, via radio, and that there would be awakening of people's faith in Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.